Welcome to the Lucky Let Gord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto, here to talk all things tennis with you. We're going to be talking about the week that was, specifically the Rolex Paris Masters, which took place last week. And we saw a surprise winner in the form of Russia's Karen Hachinov. He took out Novak Djokovic in the final. We also saw an incredible semifinal that took over three hours between Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. That was the 47th meeting between these two legendary rivals. Also saw some spots in the ATP World Tour Finals locked down by the likes of Kei Nishikori, Dominic Team, Kevin Anderson. So lots of stuff to talk about. And we are bringing aboard Tennis Now's editor, Richard Pagliaro, to discuss some of these fantastic events. A uh, couple programming notes before we get to that interview. You can now find the Lucky Let Cord podcast on Spotify. So if you're like me and you love your Spotify, just log on, click the search button, and type in Lucky Let Cord podcast. That'll take you to us. You can keep up with all the interviews. In fact, we got a good one planned for next week. We're going to be talking to world number 77, American sensation Mackie McDonald. So there's something to look forward to. Now we'll get to that interview with Richard Pagliaro to discuss the Rolex Paris Masters. Okay, the Lucky Let Cord podcast is proud to bring aboard Tennis Now's editor, Richard Pagliaro. How are you doing today, Richard? I'm doing great, Chris. Great, great to speak to you. Nice to chat. Uh, another great week of tennis concludes with 2018's third first-time Masters 1000 champion in Paris, Brilliant battle between Federer and Djokovic, their 47th all-time and one of their best that we've seen in a while. And the field is now set for the ATP Finals in London. So what are your uh, biggest takeaways from the week that was in tennis, Richard? It was a great week, you know, great, great way to end the regular season. I guess the big takeaway is obviously, you know, with Rafa, you know, pulling out and the surgery, Novak clinching year-end number one for the fifth time. That's pretty amazing, especially him being... 31 years old and also simultaneously breaking Rafa's record as the oldest year in number one, and he doesn't seem that old after watching him play, you know, the whole summer, but especially Paris in the match with uh, Roger. I thought that was one of the best matches of the year. I know you were impressed as well. Yeah, well, that's a lot. Actually, swinging it back to Novak, he... He's now got five year-end number one finishes tied up with uh, Connors and Roger Federer and just... Pete Sampras now, who has six to beat. That is a pretty amazing accomplishment, especially considering where he was in about May. Right, and especially if you project ahead to 2019, where, you know, he went out first round Miami Indian Wells. He had a poor Australia, where he can really, really widen the gap if he if he sustains this and gets off to a quick start, which he has every reason in the world to think if he can sustain this level. You know, he's going to do some major damage at the start of next year. Yeah, he's certainly in good shape to do that. But let's start with the, I guess we could call it the surprise winner in Paris. And and before I introduce this man from Russia, I want to say that I saw him do a little thing on Twitter where he, he said thank you to his fans. And I found out that he pronounces his name as Karen Kachanov. We can, yeah, I've been saying yeah. I've been saying Hachinov the whole time, but either way, the guy played brilliantly. What do you make of his performance, and, and what do you think it points to for him in 2019? Oh, well, that was a big-time performance. Not just the win over Novak, but also, I mean, he demolished Zverev and team, who I think are two of the best, 
young players in the game. I think right. those two guys both will win Grand Slams eventually. And, I mean, he destroyed both. I mean, he tore team apart. I mean, he beat team so bad the second set. Team was like serving and volley. I mean, he just trying to win points on his serve. He broke them four or five times in a row. I mean, it it just he looked like he was at a different level from the guys his age. And also, let's not forget the whole run was propelled by saving the match point against Isner, a match he could have been yep. out of the tournament. So in that way, it's, it kind of reminded me a little bit of what Sock did the previous year where the Sock was down, way down to Kyle Edmonds, should have lost the match, should have been out of the tournament, and he gets a second life, and he goes on and wins the title. And the same thing with Hatchinoff, could have easily lost to Isner and been done. Instead, you know, he gets a second life, and then he just rolls through everybody, and he dismantled Djokovic the second set. He just beat him, straight out beat him and, and everything. I was really super impressed with his level. The guy's going to be a top-five player. He's going to win multiple Grand Slams, in my opinion, if he stays healthy. He has a total game. It seems like for Hachanov, Hatch, uh, it's taken him a little bit of time yeah. to solve these top players. He entered with a 3-16 and record against the top 10, and then he reels off four straight in Paris. Seems like he's maybe an excellent indoor player. Do you think that had anything to do with his success in Paris? Because all the, you know, Moscow, Marseille indoors. But I think it's also significant, and to his credit, that he's never lost a final. And I mean, he's played solid players in these finals. He right. played, you know, Joe, it's in world number one. Four and I mean, he, finals. Yeah, I mean, he be, he's beating legitimate players. I know people diminish it a bit and they devalue it, saying, well, it's the end of the year, everyone's banged up, people just want to get home, this and that. But still, look who he beat. I mean, he beat quality players, and he didn't just beat them, he destroyed two of those guys. So. I think he's got a lot to look forward to. The other thing is that it's one thing having the shots and being a young guy and being strong, but that he, the poise that he showed through that whole tournament, and especially he was down early a break to Djokovic, and he didn't let it get away. He stayed within himself. And it's weird. It's like, uh, you know, Safin was his hero, and Safin won that title three times, I believe. Yeah. But Safin was much more volatile, much more up and down, throwing rackets around. This guy, he's 22, but he plays like he's 32 years old as far as his his maturity, his poise on the court, knowing when to cut off the angle, when to move in, when to play down the line. I mean, he definitely has a presence of a veteran player for such a young guy. It was very impressive. Mm -hmm. and that's what I wanted to ask you about next, a little bit nuts and bolts conversation with uh, Kachanov. Um, it's got the extreme forehand. That's that's very, obviously, it's a big shot. His backhand is super solid, big server. I mean, do you think there's any weakness? I know he's emphasized coming forward a little bit, and he seemed to do that well last week. Do you see any weakness, any, any areas that he can improve upon? You know, honestly, when I first saw him, I thought the forehand could be vulnerable because it reminded me to take back a little bit of Tiafo. It's sort of an right. elaborate take back and like you said it's an extreme grip change too so i've envisioned that like wow you put him against the del potro or against a big flat hitter that they're going to be able to get on his forehand that was not the case at all and he's willing to stand there and trade cross-court forehands with Djokovic has a really good forehand and i mean he did not back off one minute and and look team has one of the heaviest forehands in the game i mean team has a huge forehand and he beat him down forehand to forehand so that tells me that he has the confidence. To me, his backhand's his best shot. I mean, I think his back, you cannot, I mean, look, Djokovic has the best two-handed backhand maybe in the history of open-era tennis, and he he was not afraid to trade backhands with Djokovic either, and I think his backhand is so compact and clean. 
it's just really hard to break it down. And for a big guy, it seems like it's hard to jam him. Usually you try to play into the body and tie up a guy with right. long arms like that. And he, his footwork seems such that he's able to get clean strikes on the ball. Even on the right. run, he never looks like he's stretching or he's never like off one foot or off the back foot. He gets his body weight behind the ball, and he's a big, strong guy. And when he's set... I mean, his strikes are, are very, very impressive. Yeah. You, you think his backhand's up there with Saffins, who had an incredible backhand? Oh, yeah. I think his game, I mean, to me, he's comparable to Saffin, but at the, the, the I think the advantage might be just mentally and emotionally, he's more stable. And also, at his age, 22, to be able to finish at the net like he did against Djokovic, Saffin developed that as he grew older, but initially that wasn't a straight, he was a straight-up baseline player. I mean, so his game at that age, to me, is more power. I'm not saying he's going to be... Better. I mean, Saffin was number one in the world, too. Grand. He's a great, great player. Yeah. But this guy, definitely, potentially, his game is, is more expansive than Saffin's, in, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And we look ahead to next year. We see um, he comes in at 11 this year. He's an alternate at the ATP Finals. Uh, he made some headway this year at the Slams. He got second week at Roland Garros in Wimbledon. But there's still, and I think U.S. Open was was that third round where he lost to Rafa? It was, right. right? And that was one of the best matches of the year, it too. It was an incredible match. And if you go back and look at his, you know, I haven't looked back at every, a lot of his losses, it's a tie-break set or two tie-break set. I mean, he's right in the match, a lot of those losses, that he's really competitive. And, but like you said at the beginning, you know, he was 3-16 and 16 versus the top 10 going into, so knock off those, that four top 10 guys in a row, that's a massive confidence boost. Yep, and you got to think that starting the year at 11 not crazy amount of points to make up certainly a lock for top 10 and you're yeah he could push for top five next year if he continues to progress so pretty cool stuff for for the russian but what about novak djokovic i was surprised personally to see you could see and feel it was palpable that djokovic kind of hit the wall in that match not to say he played poorly not to say he gave up or handed it to hachinov but um, I guess it's expected after 20, what is it, 21 or 22 consecutive wins that he finally hits the wall. But um, I guess we'll see and we'll look and see and find out how he regroups in London. But what did you make of his performance in that final? You're listening to the Lucky Lightcore Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. He's got to walk away with his head really high because, you know, he is human. 22 matches in a row is, you know, one of the best. Right. right, one of the best of, of his career. And also, you know, the match against Federer, to me, that was one of the best matches of the year. And, you know, Federer to not lose serve and to take it all the way to that third set breaker, that was a classic match. And also, you know, a lot of times, like, I'm not in Paris, so we're watching on TV. You don't get the sense of the conditions. And to me, it was a really pro-Federer crowd. So that emotionally can be draining, too. You're in the battle. You know, the one time he gave, like, the sarcastic thumbs up to the fans. I think that can emotionally wear on you where you feel like you're playing against 15,000 people, too. But I, I thought he channeled it really well. You know, he had the one racket break, but he came back strong. And even, even the Hatchinoff match, I mean, he's up 3-1. 
on, you're thinking he's in control, but the guy just played too good for him. But I think he's got to leave Paris feeling really, really good. He doesn't have to worry about number one. He's got that locked up. And in a weird way, I think not having that winning streak into London, then there's not the pressure like, well, he's got to go undefeated through round robin, and you want to yep. see him sweep through London. You know, so in a weird way, I think it, it sort of takes a little bit of pressure off, even though obviously he's the big favorite in London. But it, it takes some pressure off because you don't have to talk about the streak every time. You know, now it's just like you're starting – from scratch, just like everyone else, even though that's not really the case. Yeah, and I think that might be good for him to re recharge and not be carrying the weight of that streak. He's 49-11 and 11 now, four titles on the season, two majors, two masters. Just went through that run in Shanghai where he improved to 11-0 and in finals in China, 11-3 and against top 10. I mean, what can you say? He's the hottest player in the game, and we all think he's going to win a couple ma majors next year, and maybe, maybe he'll hold all four again. So, I mean, you know. A loss in a final like this, it really is kind of a throwaway loss, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also considering where he was at, you know, at this time last year or even at this time in February coming out of surgery, it, it gives you a whole fresh perspective. And I think he's the kind of guy that knows, look, you know, it can go away so quick, like one freak injury. So I think he's all about the now. Like, I'm going to max – I'm riding this wave, and I'm going to ride it as long as I can. I'm going to maximize it right now because this is the time where I can really – rack up some majors and then we spoke previously you know historically he wins majors in bunches you know he wins two three three in a row why not why not four in a row why not it's <laughs> must possible. be nice i mean it's definitely the, the level he's at now it's definitely possible yeah for sure and roger federer to me personally he kind of reintroduced himself as a player who can contend for majors the second half of the season starting with the crazy, somewhat difficult loss to Anderson at Wimbledon. And I started to think, wow, maybe age is catching up with him. Didn't write him off, but was thinking, you know, wanted to see a little more from him. And now the Basel title and the good performance in Paris, he looked really good playing back-to-back -back weeks. I was impressed by his form. How about you? I was really impressed in the Shikori match. I thought that would be a tighter match. He really took the ball earlier. You saw the weight of his shot where he beat Nishikori down. Nishikori was playing really well. He took it to him. And the Djokovic match, I mean, he that match is a toss-up match. You don't lose your serve. You take it to seven to a tie break in the third. That match can go either way. He had a really poor tie break. The double fault, you know, that was a double fault yeah. came totally out of the blue. That hurt him. But to me, the big shot was he hit that beautiful Drop volley, hit a perfect shot, and Novak just came streaking in, and he curled that forehand winner pass right down the line. And if you're Federer, or if you're a Federer fan, you're thinking he played the point flawlessly. He did exactly what he wanted to do, and Djokovic was just one shot better to me. That summed up the whole match. He played really, really high level, excellent match, and Djokovic was just one shot better when he needed to be. Yeah. It's it's uh, nice to see Federer that close with Djokovic. Of course, their 47th meeting. This is maybe one of their best non-slam meetings ever. Absolutely. It's one of their best matches ever. In my view, I thought it was one of their best matches ever. And also, it says a lot about his style. It reinforces that he's playing the right way. He's serving and volleying at times. He's coming in at times. He's chipping the return short at times. He's trying to bring the other guy in. He's trying to mix it up and not just, I don't want to get into a baseline slog back and forth. And he's playing to his tempo. He's playing the exact right way he needs to play. And who knows? In Australia, look, that's been one of the faster slams in the last two years. If they make the, a fast track 
and he comes in and he gets a couple indoor night matches, I mean, that could just be perfectly suited to the way he's playing right now, which is kind of throwback to the way he played when he first came into the pro game. He was much more of an attacking player. To see him come back, it's almost seeing him stylistically come full circle to how he started, you know. Right, and uh, his performance in Paris certainly gets probably gets the Fed fans pretty excited about the World Tour Finals, where he's known to make some damage. Yeah, yeah, you got to think Djokovic is the favorite going in, but Federer, I, I think Federer's group is a little bit, I think it's a little bit more conducive to him advancing, and he played well there last year. He lost to Gofan in the semis, but he got to the semis and played well. Uh, it'll be interesting to see like someone like Isner, who's like the late addition, if he could be like the disruptive force, or or if or if Chilich could get hot. You know, he's a Queens Club champion. If one of the guys we're not talking, because right now it looks like a Federer Joker. You know, we're all kind of assuming that's the way yeah. it's going to go based on the way they play. But you never know. Somebody gets hot, you just don't know. You don't. There's a lot of good players there. I think it could be a bit of a free for all. Actually, just late right. late in the right. season, you know, some guys are carrying some miles and. Uh, Rafa out of the equation is sad. I just love to see him play whenever I get the chance. But you know, it's good. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. I, I wanted to talk to you. Circle back to Paris a little bit and circle back to Dominic Team on the hard courts. Not the best performance in the semifinal, but just for him making that semifinal improves to 22 and eight on hard courts this year. With that's a 7.33 winning percentage, which is far better than his career winning percentage on hard courts, which is just 5.61. So I think team is kind of overlooked a little bit how he's steadily progressing on this hard courts it bodes well for his ranking come 2019 and beyond don't you think yeah absolutely also because he now has an indoor title and he has an indoor you know masters to get to that seven you know losing to Hatchinoff, but still to get that far. And I think that was his goal coming in, that he had to work on his core positioning, move a little bit closer to the baseline, be able to come in a little bit more. And he's a really, really good athlete, moves well. He has a really good overhead. He's a good leaper. He's not afraid to come in. It's just he was so far back in the past. So to see him make those adjustments with his game, especially his core positioning, and then you see his racket skills, how you know he hits the ball beautifully. So it yeah, it's great to see. Yeah, you got to feel like the future is really bright for team that he's been able to sort of address it. And it's exciting to see him evolve also and really put it into practice. He's a guy that really works at his game and really studies the game, watches video and all. So it's really nice to see the work, you know, see it pay off it's, for him. It's cool. Do you see team as a future number one? I mean, we, clearly he's, we all know he's going to win Roland Garros, right? I mean, I'll, I'll, I definitely think he'll win a slam. I just don't know about number one only because his game isn't as all-surface suited as some of the other guys, but I'd like to see it. I think he's great for the game. He's such a well-spoken guy, and he competes so hard, you know, on every surface. It's just I don't know. If, like someone to me, like I would say Zverev's game to me is more conducive to every surface. Let's say or Tsitsipas would be the guy. I would say he's just more. His game is more suited to all surfaces. Yeah, it's view. true. Yeah, team really. It's really not natural for him, but it wasn't natural for Rafa either, and he's he's able to do pretty well in those. Hey, a lot of people thought it wasn't natural for Lendl. A lot of people, like you said, yeah, Rafa's a perfect example. People thought, oh, he's just a clay quarter. He'll never and and look, he did it. Right, and. Finally, looking ahead to the ATP Finals, um, the groups are set. The draw is set. Do you have any? You you mentioned a little bit how you, how you felt about the groups. Is there any other things you want to add about next week's season-ending finale? It'll just be interesting to see a 
if someone emerges like last year, how Dimitrov emerged and Gofan emerged, if one of the guys you donate, like we all, we're all automatically assuming based on the recent results that Federer and Djokovic are going to be there, and I think it's safe to assume they're going to be in the final four. But who else is going to step up? I'd say a guy like Chilich is a guy I would really keep an eye on because if he gets hot with the serve. You know, he's shown he can do it in the past. But, you know, then again, someone like Isner, it's almost he's playing with house money. He wasn't even supposed to be in the field. Now he's in there, and it could just go bombs away. Yeah, well, can I write a fairy tale for you, Richard? Yeah, what about team? We were just talking about team. What if team gets hot? You know, he's been there. He was there last year as well. That's a good one. My fairy tale is Kei Nishikori capping off his comeback season and finally winning his first title since 2016. Awesome. What do you think of Nishikori this season? I mean, he didn't get the title, but he played a lots of good tennis. It's, he's been very impressive. Do you, do you think there's even more for him in store for next season? Oh, yeah, yeah. He played well, especially down the stretch this year, and you really see him mix it up. And also, he gets up for playing the bigger guys. I just think he's a little bit physically outgunned when it comes to Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. I think those three, those three, it's always going to be problematic for him, although he has... Obviously, he beat Djokovic at the U.S. So, I mean, he has beaten them at times. It's just, I don't think he, in order for him to win a major, I don't think he's going to be able to beat one of those three, but he was definitely going to be in the conversation for sure. He's yeah. guys play great. Why do you think you, know, you watch his hands? Some of the some of the returns, he's three, four feet inside the baseline. His hand speed is unreal. Why do you think he runs into trouble against the top players? Like, you know, some, like Roger can handle him so easily. I just think when you saw in Paris, you know, pristine conditions, you're playing under, you just see Rogers' forehand is just bigger. He just hits a bigger ball. I mean, hits, and he can take it just as early. So it's tough. And also, Roger, the transition game. Although Kay's really good at the net. You know, Roger just, he transitions well, finishes better at the net. But I think, you know, when they get into the baseline rally, it's just his forehand is just a bigger shot. And do you think Alexander Zverev has any shot at doing some damage here, or you think he's just um, kind of fried he at the end of the long season? I mean, to be honest, he seemed burnt out in Paris, especially the whole thing with the uncle. He's worried about the uncle. It's like, dude, come on, worry about what's happening between the line. Like, why are you worried about his uncle? Like, his, I mean, everybody's going to cheat. You know, there's not wasn't that many people <laughs> out. Like, to me, when you start worrying about stuff like that, you're just telling me I'm burnt out. Right. So, yeah, I mean, he has the game. If he gets hot, of course, he can beat anybody, but it just mentally he seems like... You know, his whole presser, he's talking about the shorter season. When people start talking yeah, right. like that, it, they're just tired. It's not his fault. He's had a long year. He has every right to be tired. But when you start telegraphing that in your answers and your body language, they know that this guy's – the opponents know he's vulnerable because he's just mentally telegraphing the fatigue. All right. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Zverev was complaining about Karen Hachinov's cheering section, that they were cheering too loudly – against Zverev in, the, in their uh, was quarterfinal match in Paris. Um, Hachinov was pretty much blowing him out, and Zverev appeared to be injured in that match as well. Right, it showed, and also to Hachinov's credit in the press after, he to totally diffused it. He said, look, we're good friends. It's just one of those things. It happens, heat of the moment, no big deal. We talk, You know, everything's fine. You know, don't make a big deal. It's like, don't blow it into nothing. It basically was what Hachinov was saying, but I'm saying it just revealed his Zverev state of mind when you're... When you stop the match to lecture the guy about his uncle, you know, you just your head isn't in the right space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's wild. 
So who haven't we talked about in London? A real quick mention of John Isner gets into the field thanks to Rafa's withdrawal. And we also got Kevin Anderson. We didn't touch on those two big boys. You think yeah, either we didn't them? touch on Anderson. And look, he's come up big in some big moments, especially against those guys. You know, the Wimbledon win over Federer, you know, last year the U.S. Open final. Also, look, before the, uh, before, before the Paris final, he was the last guy to beat Djokovic. He did it in the Labor Cup, granted, in the next but he beat him and in front of 20,000 people which is a similar environment he's going to have in London so you know you can never count Kevin Anderson out yeah a last word on John Isner the big man the tall cool American you think he's got a shot to win some matches Absolutely, absolutely, and he knows he can just go in bombs away and let it fly, and that's when he plays his best, when he can just let loose like Miami, you know, or indoors, he's beating a lot of these guys. He's, he's just got to stay aggressive, and if it gets to a tie break, he's got to rush in that more than he, he just gets dragged into, in my view, he just gets dragged into the rally, too long rally, he's just got to yeah. shorten it up. He's, yeah, he could be even more miserable to play against if he did that, if he refused to go over four strokes. All right, exactly. no if I was coaching him, I'd have a rule. Every time the rally goes over eight strokes, it's $100. you got to pay $100. <laughs> and I guarantee this guy would short it. And look, you have no idea what it's like when a guy's rushing you that 6'11 with a wingspan, 7'5. You don't even think about lobbing him. I mean, just the sight of him coming in, it's a scary proposition, you know. Yeah. But the thing is, it's, he's like one, it's got to be one volley. He's got to end it with one volley because he's not nimble at the net. So he's got to end it. He's got to come in on the right shot, basically, is what I'm saying. Yep. You got to talk to Justin Gimmel stuff. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't they don't need, no. He's doing <laughs> great. Look, the guy's had a great year, like he you has. said. He really. And he likes the big moment. You know, he likes that kind of moment. He gets up for that. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, he is Tennis Now's editor, Richard Pagliaro. Thanks for joining me, Richard. Let's, uh, yeah, circle, you, let's circle back and break down the uh, ATP finals when it's all said and done. That'll be great. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express, is a wrap. I'm your host, Chris Otto. I want to say thank you to Richard Pagliaro for joining us today. And also want to remind you guys to get hip to our social channels. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash tennis now. You can also find us on Twitter, at tennis underscore now. And don't forget our podcast homepage, which is tennisnow.podomatic.com. And there's two more. Wait for it. Two more. Don't forget, you can check us out on Spotify. Just get your Spotify app fired up and search Lucky Let Cord Podcast. And of course, iTunes. Last but not least, iTunes. We love it if you give us those five-star ratings and those long, beautiful reviews. It means a lot to us. We definitely appreciate it. I want to say thanks for listening. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time.